Yo, everybody, welcome to the Ednian Podcast, where we have real conversations with the amazing talent in Denver's backyard to inform the system and change the game for the next generation. I hope you're thriving. Let's go. What's good, everybody? Hope everyone is doing well. Hope everyone is thriving. Thank you for tuning in. Switching up the intro here a little bit just to make sure you got some context into the series. Um, as some of you may know, in November, there's an important election coming up in Denver. Uh, voters will be casting their ballots to see who will be representing our communities on the Denver Public Schools Board of Education. Uh, this year, there's three different seats open, uh, District 1, District 5, as well as an at-large seat. And as always, we're here to build spaces to have real authentic connection, real authentic conversation, understand these candidates' vision for the district, the vision for our communities, as well as who they are as people. Um, more than anything, we hope that this sparks some deeper questions for you as you think about who you're going to vote for. And most importantly, know that we are not endorsing any candidate. We've reached out to every single candidate and asked them all to come down and, and sit with us and share some game with us and share who they are. Um, so I do hope that this gives you a better sense um, and hopefully some more insight that you wouldn't typically get from candidates as they're on the campaign trail. Um, now, special, super uh, important announcement for us uh, is that support for this podcast series comes from the Denver Foundation. Now, through gifts of cash and stocks or more complex assets, the Denver Foundation helps generous donors get the most from their giving. Uh, more than anything, they you know, invest in our communities. They help people be able to invest in our communities. And we appreciate them for investing in our collective vision at Ednium. Uh, super excited. We're coming up, y'all. And uh, with nothing more to say, let's get this thing rolling. Peace. And we're live. Good almost afternoon. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to see you. You as well. I appreciate you coming through. And it's kind of cool, like, that so many candidates are willing to do this podcast. And yeah, I think you were the first one that hit me up, like, yep, I'm down to do it. So just know I, I appreciate that. Um, how's the day going? Day's going well. Been busy. Got to visit Cafecito this morning. Oh, yeah. So, Rosemary and her Got lovely ladies. Some powerful is, women over yes, there. Yes. Yeah. It's always such a great way to start your day. And <laughs> yeah. so, being in space with them is was really rewarding. That's awesome. That's awesome. Would you, uh, any hard hitting questions? Lots of, lots of questions about the school board. I uh, could imagine. So, <laughs> uh, not hard-hitting ones, but just questions I think that I'm hearing across the community in yep. terms of uh, families, especially feeling like their voices are not being met. Um, yeah. or, sorry, their voices are not being heard and their needs are not yeah. being met. I think particularly... Um, there are con some concerns for our students who are multilingual learners and our students mm -hmm. who have special education needs that yeah. came up. Um, and again, just having to navigate systems. Yeah. Big well, let's, challenge. Let's get into all that. But first, let's let the world know who we're talking to. Yes. I am Kimberly Sia. I am super excited um, to be here today and tell you a little bit about why I decided to run for oh. school board. Uh, so I grew up in Iowa. Okay. I uh, grew up on a farm. And what kind was, of farm? Like anything like, in particular? Well, first we had corn. Okay. Then we had pigs. Mm. Then we actually lost our farm. Oh, um, no. And so had to um, move, lived in a couple of different places until my parents got back on their feet and then bought an acreage where we rented it out hmm. to um, folks who had cows and things like that. Yeah, so yeah. multiple that's, places. Yeah, that's a different lifestyle yes. though. I'm, you know, I think there's, I haven't met anybody that's actually like ran a farm mm -hmm. like yeah. that. I'm sure there's some like lessons you could pull oh, that are relevant today. Yes. You, any pop up in your mind? Um. <laughs> So I'll tell you the funny lesson first mm -hmm. is that we had this mobile home that we lived in and we had because the main part of the farm was all the barns and the fields and everything. Yep. And my job was to feed the chickens in the morning. Uh -huh. And keep in mind, I was like four. Yeah. <laughs> and so in the wintertime, it starts to get dark. And so I'd like get up to go out and my dad's already out in the field. Um and we had an electric fence hmm. that normally got turned off because then the animals would get out in the yeah. fields during the day. But my dad forgot to turn it off and I oh, forgot the electric fence was there. And so 
ran right into it and <laughs> fell right back. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like in a cartoon um, or yes, something. Yes, it yeah, totally yeah. was. But my lesson learned mm-hmm. um, was that you always got to watch where you're going. Yeah, always <laughs> so, watch where you're going. Yes. Yeah, yes. know where the barriers are. No, you feel me? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Very good life lesson. I feel it. I feel, yeah. I'm glad you're okay. Yes. You know what I mean? Thank you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I love, I mean, it was such a great experience. Um, and my parents ended up getting divorced. And so mm. my mom raised me and my three sisters mm. and worked multiple jobs. And we did not, so did not have a lot of time and money uh, to kind of show us the world. And yeah. so she engaged with me through learning and books and mm. finding free things for us to go out and do as a family. And it just helped me expand my world beyond yeah. the farm. Similarly, then when I got into high, you know, elementary, mm-hmm. middle school, high school, I was always the kid who wanted to read and raise their hands, and I yeah. loved school. And I was also the first person in my family to go to college, mm-hmm. and so had great teachers and counselors who helped our family navigate that. Yeah, we didn't have internet when I was yeah. this age, <laughs> and so we literally had to go to the library. They had books where you could look up scholarships. Huh. Um, it's just blows my mind to think about today. Yeah, I mean, if I had to do that, I probably wouldn't have got to college. I ain't going to lie to you. Like. No. <laughs> well, my mom said, we cannot afford college, and you're going to have to pay for it, so we have to figure yeah. out how to make this all happen. She's like, if you're going to go, you're going to pay for it. And mm-hmm. I was like, My mom had the same conversation with me. It was yeah. like, yo, that's what you want to do, bro. You better figure it out. Like, <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, so, but you did it. But I did it. Yeah. Um, I applied to one school hmm. and I got in. Where at? Uh, Northwestern University. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, it's not a bad school to apply to. No, it yeah. wasn't. And and I was fortunate. My high school guidance counselor uh, told us about a summer program between mm-hmm. junior and senior year. Mm-hmm. Now they're like they're called flying. Now I know yeah. what they're called. Now yeah, 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 <laughs> having yeah. done this in my work life. Um, but I love the campus and applied early decision um, because we couldn't. I had other applications ready, but I yeah. couldn't afford the application fees. Yeah. And so, but if I didn't get in, then I could have mm-hmm. sent in some other applications, but I wanted to save the money. So yeah. I got lucky. And those application fees ain't cheap, like nope. when you're, especially when you're struggling. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was tough. And so I, you know, that I think about that and, think about the work that I do now with mm-hmm. with students and with families. And that whole story of my journey has been a huge motivator mm-hmm. for what why I'm so passionate about education. Yeah. I had lots of adults in my life who really helped nurture me throughout the way. When I got to college, I wanted to be a doctor or a mm. lawyer or a business person because I was like, I make money. Yep, <laughs> yep. I like get that bread. My yeah. mom was so excited. She's like, you're going to like turn us around. Like you're yep. going to be the example for your sisters. Are you the oldest? I'm the oldest. Okay. Yep. So yeah, a lot of pressure on yes. you. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And I have three sisters. Yeah. So that was my whole, she's yeah. like, looking you at can you. do it. Yep. Then yep. we can do it. Um, And... In the meantime, I had to work work study. I had several other jobs in addition to work study while I was in school. And they all ended up being with kids. Hmm. So tutoring, nannying, yep. uh, doing after school programs. And I loved it. Hmm. So my senior year, I decided I was going to go into teaching and actually ended up applying for Teach for America hmm. um, because I couldn't get my teaching credential in college. Yeah. I started classes and then they're like, then they said, well, senior year, you have to student teach and you can't work. And I said, "That's a crazy. I'm not going to graduate because I can't pay for college if I don't work. Yeah, for real. Yeah. So. There, that, we've heard that as a, I've always thought about it too when we're talking about like we want to recruit more diverse teachers. Mm-hmm. And I know they just changed something where you get stipend. It's not yes. kind of like that. But I'm yes. like, yo, how, how do you expect people from our neighborhoods to just take a year where you're not doing nothing? Right. You know, but like, obviously you're student teaching, but mm-hmm. I can't make no money. I can't do anything. No. And they were very much like, because you had, you did your student teaching all day yeah. and you were there before school started yep. and then afterwards. And Evanston is outside of Chicago and they would place you hmm. any, I mean, you could, some of my classmates had like hour drives oh, commutes damn. to get to their placement schools. Yeah. And then at night you had your classes. Huh. So I don't know how you, you would have technically have worked, work but anyway. yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I applied for Teach for America because that was an easy, like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, maybe I can try it this way and then get my certificate after. And 
10 minutes before the deadline, submitted it. <laughs> you sound like a lot of DPS students. I know. See, I was not a good role model. All the lessons that I did not do is what I'm yep, now yep. trying to teach. It's like learn from my mistakes, yes, man. I, yes. Yeah, I feel it. Yes. And so I uh, got to teach. I uh, taught in Newark, New Jersey. And mm. then I also taught um, – in Goleta, California, which is outside of Santa Barbara. Okay. Um, my husband was going to grad school at mm. University of California, Santa Barbara. And so that's how oh I ended God. up out there. But yeah. loved it. Taught everything from first to seventh grade. Hmm. My favorite was middle school. Was what would you teach? What subject? Math. Math. Okay. Yes. Which also I loved because when I was in high school... I was in AP Calculus, mm. and I was also on the dance team mm. for my high school. And so we'd wear our outfits at the, you know, yeah. before game days and all of that. And our uh, my AP Calculus teacher, I was struggling mm. majorly. And I said, hey, I have to fit. I want to be able to take the AP exam. Can you help me? And he looks me up and down and goes, you're never going to be able to do math anyway, so I don't know why you're wasting your time. Hmm. I was like, oh. All right, then, bet, <laughs> yeah, homie. Yeah. I know. So I walked out of that class. I went to my counselor. I was like, I'm not taking this class anymore. Yeah. I said, and I want to go to the school board huh. because that is sexist behavior, and he's making us something. And I was yeah. livid. You should have been. Um, I did not get on the school board agenda, which <laughs> also was equally the thing. as frustrating. Yeah. But, um, but it was hilarious when I was in college, I ended up another job I had is I actually helped to write math curriculum. Hmm. Um, it's now called Everyday Mathematics, which hmm. is a math curriculum, but it and it was in English and in Spanish. Hmm. And so I, I it, and it was elementary, so I got to learn how kids learn about yeah. math. Uh, and so that was on my resume when I applied for teaching jobs and they thought mm. I had a math background, which mm. I did not, mm -hmm. but I loved teaching math. Yeah. I mean, so. you, you did have kind of a math yeah, background. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 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 But I wasn't like a math magician or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. no I feel it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like you start to talk, you know, we're doing the financial literacy stuff and uh, financial algebra. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the conversation is like, well, what should drive? Should it be the math or the financial literacy component? Mm -hmm. And that's like the tension right now is we're trying to figure out how to implement this thing. And, um, but a piece of me is like, look, you kind of need people who know how to like leverage math in the, their everyday lives, you know? Yep. Um, and like, they tend to be able to like communicate that a little bit mm -hmm. better than someone who's been like so seeped in math, like their entire lives. Like there's value there yeah. for sure. But I think there's definitely value in saying like, I'm not like a math major. I'm somebody who figured out how to like leverage this to get me through. Right. You right. feel me? Like, no, I totally agree. And as you were just talking about that, I was thinking about this is financial literacy, which when I was mm -hmm. teaching, I didn't think about it this way. Yeah. But when we would teach kids ratios or how to find percentages, mm -hmm. I always used examples around banking, right? Yeah. And like your interest rate or, t or finances, mm -hmm. like how do you calculate tax yep. and how, or if kids, I mean, some of my kids were a little behind in math. And mm. so even just something as simple as like multiplying with decimal, mm -hmm. like teaching them how you can take a percentage and turn it into a decimal and, yep. and but put it in real world. Yeah. Oh, you're going to go to the store and you're going to buy X, Y, and Z yep. and you only have $2. Yep. Well, you're going to have tax. So how are you going to figure out how yeah. many chips you can get? When, when that coupon says, you know, 50% yeah. off or 40% mm -hmm. off, how do, you, how do you do that mental math real quick? Yep. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I agree. Yeah. But I love that you all are doing the financial literacy work because so many adults, I mean, even myself, so many adults have not had that. Yeah. And lots of debt, lots of lessons learned yeah. um, to get to the place where they are today. And so that we can provide that to kids earlier is huge. Yeah. I mean, our goal is just to make it good. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're having this conversation this morning with Tiffany, who is the curriculum specialist who's really doing the implementation. Mm -hmm. She's killing it. Um, she has a podcast on here too, if y'all want to check that out. But a lot of it's about, uh, all right, we can't get lost in just the course. Our goal is to make sure that kids are leaving this class with actual, right. you know, content that they can leverage mm -hmm. and use. Um, and that seems to be a consistent conversation around everything. Like what is the real goal of the things we're providing? Right. And mm -hmm. like, it's easy to get lost in the sauce a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's like, nope, let's recenter it. And that's why I love Tiffany. It's like, right. ah, our goal here is this. It's not anything else. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> and it's like, it applies to everything in school. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, but everything's hard. So you know? hard. <laughs> <laughs> to, to get done well. It is. Done. 
So you're teaching, so you're teaching middle school math. Yep. And then what? So then when I was a teacher, um, a huge component of how I feel I was successful with my students is I was very engaged with my communities and my families. Mm -hmm. And so would constantly be out in the neighborhoods. I'd meet families at parts. I'd go to quinceañeras. I would have um, dinner with families. They'd be like, I'm- Bet you a lot of free food. Yeah, lots of free foods. Like, like, uh, my favorite mom, I ended up having four of her five kids Mm -hmm. over the course of time. And she she worked the night shift and she, but she knew I love pozole. And Mm -hmm. so she would- Put it on the oven before she went to work, and then when she would bring, because she would always bring the kids to school before she went yeah. to bed, and so she would bring it to school oh, and like cool. have it. And I was like, "Oh, I love you." <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, that's so, how that's how people show love. Yes, yeah. it is, yeah. and it was amazing. And I, the in California, the school I worked in, um, we also had a lot of family families who are monolingual Spanish speakers Mm -hmm. and really struggled to communicate with teachers at the school. Mm -hmm. And so another teacher and I created a English, like a ESL class so Mm -hmm. that families could learn English. Mm -hmm. But because we had worked as a school to really build community in the school, a lot of our non-Spanish speaking families said, wait, but I want to learn Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so we created this curriculum where they actually learned from each other. That's cool. And it was it what it did to the school community because you yeah. now like where language had been a barrier for yeah. so long um you now had families who were having a similar struggle yep. in terms of not being able to navigate conversations with others yep. uh and so that's something i was really proud of <laughs> that yeah. we that i did when i was a teacher but it also raised flags for my principal who said I think you need to be a school leader. Huh. <laughs> and so yeah. I went and got my master's in educational leadership and organizations and my principal certification. Yep. And then my husband got sent off for his PhD, okay. um, which he was working on and got placed in Chicago. Huh. So we went back to Chicago and I applied to be a principal with Chicago Public Schools. It is very hard to get in unless you've already been in the system and they're like oh well you can kind of start down here and and move it up and I was like no I want to be a principal today (laughs) and so my friend goes well there's these things called charter schools Mm -hmm. and there and there's an there's some new ones opening in the Chicagoland area you should apply Mm -hmm. which I did and ended up opening uh founding a charter school in Gary Indiana wow and Gary is an amazing, amazing city. Yep. Um, at the time that I opened this, my school there, their school system, families were just so mm-hmm. underserved. Kids, families were so underserved. And they were just, what can we do? Because mm-hmm. I want my child to get a good education. Yeah. And so once again, um, I, I'd driven through, I'm from the Midwest. I'd driven through Gary lots of times. Mm-hmm. Um, we visited Gary when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Like, But to be able to go out and talk to families about what they wanted in a school and what they wanted, like yeah. what didn't they have in their current schools was an amazing experience. Yeah. I am, I still am in contact with staff that was at that school with me, with my students who are at that school with me. They are now in their 30s. Wow. Um, they might. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> they are. Like, <laughs> they were my fifth. I, I, I opened it K through five um, and then ended up growing it. Uh, it became a, it actually became a K-12, K but hmm. then shifted into some other roles. But that, as a first principalship, that was I mean, that's such a, an amazing, amazing experience. And a, and a tall task to take, like, mm-hmm. for your first time. I'm, yeah. I'm curious, like, what, what did you hear that they needed, like, walking into that? So the first thing that they needed was consistent adults in the classroom. Hmm. So in in the school, in Gary, they, one, either couldn't, just couldn't get teachers hired, mm-hmm. and so then there would be substitutes. Yeah. Or they <clears throat> would have teachers who had been in the system for so long, they'd retire, mid, they, they'd wait mm-hmm. until they hit whatever number they needed to hit, yep. and then they'd retire in the middle of the year, Damn. and then there's no teacher anymore, right? And yeah. so, first of all, and then principals were kind of, depending on which school it was, mm-hmm. principals were in and out. 
So teachers was number one. Number two was they wanted more rigorous Hmm. curriculum for their kids. They Mm -hmm. wanted it to be more than my kid knows how to read and my kid knows how to write. Like they, families really understood if my child is going to go to college or if my child is going to go into the working world Mm-hmm. And have a job that they um, that is going to be livable, and it's really going to help them to move forward yeah. in their lives. There's other skills that they need, yep. and so that was a focus. And then I was actually for- fortunate because our school, and this is in Gary, yeah. and if if you all don't know. The Jackson Five are from Gary. Their house was actually like around the corner from where my school was. So there's, it was always there. Um, But it's a very arts centered Mm. city. And so the the school was an arts infused school. And so Mm. families also, because typically in their, in their traditional schools, no art classes, no music Mm. classes, um, maybe had some PE. And so not only did we have those, types of classes for kids, yeah. but we also infused it into our everyday lessons. That's cool. So if we were, you know, learning about, I mean, I don't know. Did you learn the States song when no. you were in like fourth or fifth grade? Uh, no, my wife still does it every time. Yes. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's, yeah. that's arts infusion. You're using yeah. music to help you memorize things yeah. or um, lots of drawing and art and mm. models and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. And families loved it because their kids actually wanted to come to school. Yeah. Flip side of that is that, so this was in the mid-2000s, they also just didn't feel like their schools were safe. And so they wanted to be in an environment where their kids weren't being bullied, yeah. weren't being having physical altercations during yeah. the school day. Um, lots of trauma yeah. that kids had due to home situations. And so... We had multiple mental health professionals on staff, hmm. which I, I didn't realize this at, a t- at the time, but apparently was very unusual That's for kids good. to like, yeah. for us to have full-time social worker and a full-time hmm. school psychologist yeah. in a building that had less than 400 kids. Um, and so that was something that families wanted to be able to support kids in that way. What's crazy to me is this was how long ago? You said like 10 years ago? Yeah, uh, 15. 20, 15 years ago? Yep. Yeah. And I'm like, that's all the stuff we're talking about now. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. Like, it's just so hard, for which I, again, and particularly right now in Denver, mm-hmm. we should not be here. Like, yeah. This is, this is the, this is part of what motivates me to run for school board is when I came to Denver in 20, so I've been here since 2013. Our family moved out here, moved out here to become the CEO of Kip Colorado Schools. Yep. Um, I did tell my husband. So I flew out from Chicago uh-huh. and there was a snowstorm when I got here and when I landed. So I'm like <laughs> driving from DIA to my hotel uh, in lots and lots of snow. And then I got up in the morning. It was 65 degrees. Yeah. Snow is melting. I called my husband on the way to the interview, and I said, I don't care if I get this job. <laughs> We're, We're moving, moving to Denver. <laughs> I said, I never you know, will live funny. anywhere again. <laughs> is I, we almost, me and my family almost moved to Chicago at one point. Oh, my gosh. And uh, actually, like, I was, our bags were packed. Mm-hmm. Um it was like three weeks before we were supposed to leave is when I got the call for the job at Rudette. Oh. And uh, Bernard, who's on uh, and the board member now, you know, I remember him calling me. He was like, man, you know how cold it gets over there? And so, like, to this day, when it's, like, super cold yeah. or, like, below zero, he was like, saved you. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm forever grateful. You yes. feel me? Like, I think Chicago would have been great, but, you know, mm-hmm. he set me up well. But it's it's crazy. It is. I know. Parallel. It's so funny. It is a beautiful city. Yeah. We loved living in Chicago. It's way too hot in the summer, and it is way too, <laughs> too cold, cold in, in the winter. winter. Yeah. And also in snow. I love snow, mm-hmm. but I don't like gray, mushy snow yeah. in the streets for six months. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the ice and yes. all that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, so, I feel you. yeah. So you fell in love with it the moment you— So I fell in love with it. And then, of course, I got to meet kids. I got to meet staff. I got to meet community yeah. when I applied for the job. And— um you know, the rest is history. Like yeah. we, I said, we are staying in Denver. Huh. We're going to raise our kids in Denver. Huh. Our kids are going to go to Denver public schools. Yeah. I just felt so strongly about the opportunities that existed here. Yeah. And one of the things I really liked, because when I had worked in char- 
charter space before mm-hmm. I came to Denver, we charters just did their own thing. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't this interaction with traditional schools. Yep. There wasn't innovation schools didn't even exist mm-hmm. any place else. I've never worked someplace else that had innovation schools. Mm. There may be other states that have them, but yeah, I think they call them different names. Do they? Yeah. yeah. They so. started popping up, but I'm, I'm not sure. I think yeah. Denver was kind of like the leading force behind yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that Colorado has it as a state. Yeah. Um, But when I came here and I would go to meetings at DPS and there'd be charter school leaders and Mm. traditional school leaders and innovation school leaders. Mm. And they'd say, hey, let's do a problem of practice and Mm. like help each other and let's go visit each other's schools and learn what's going well and help solve problems. Like I just hadn't been in an education setting like that. And I saw folks focused on looking at the achievement gaps that exist between Whatever subgroup you mm-hmm. want to talk about, students of color, free and re- students on free and reduced lunch, students with um, special needs, multilingual learners, because all those gaps yeah. exist. They exist across the yeah. country. But I saw an intentional focus here on Denver to not just say we as a district are performing at X level mm-hmm. yep. and not Talking about under what's the actually hood. happening. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And being honest about, yeah. no, it's not acceptable mm-hmm. that 13% mm-hmm. of our black students are on grade level. Like yeah. that, right? Like yeah. most districts won't tell you that because you can hide that under other data and mm-hmm. say 72% of yeah. your red yeah, yeah. are not that high, but like yeah. 48% of You could hide it. You yep. could push it under the mm-hmm. bed. Yeah. And that just isn't wasn't my experience mm-hmm. when I first started working at KIPP. And so uh love the work that I did there. Was super excited uh, to work in Southwest Denver and mm-hmm. far northeast Denver. Got to know those communities really well. Yeah. Something, as I've mentioned, throughout my education career that I was really adamant about with our school with the school leaders was you have to do, you have to ensure families are engaged Mm -hmm. with their students' education. Families can be at our schools whenever they would like to be at our schools. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep, we're going to communicate. We're going to keep them informed. And we're going to partner with community. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see what are community organizations that are in our community. How are we working? If there's an issue with our families, how are we working with our elected officials? Mm -hmm. How are we advocating mm-hmm. for our community to be able to uh, make change if yeah. we don't feel that we have all of the resources huh. that we need? Can I? I'm gonna ask you maybe a potentially controversial question. Okay. But like, you talked about this uh, this camaraderie, right? Mm-hmm. That you, that you experienced when you came in between the charters and the traditionals, and everybody was like, "All right, we're working towards these these mm-hmm. goals. These are these different vehicles. How do we share information?" When I came into the split scene, it was like 2018. Mm-hmm. And like one of the biggest things I noticed was was actually a clear lack of that. Like what, what, it was like people were operating from a like defensive standpoint. Um, you know, I thought, you know, in my brain, I'm like, okay, the, the initial idea of the charter schools were to be able to innovate and then ultimately spread that across the district to where we can learn and mm-hmm. grow. But like what we what I what I saw coming in. Right, and I'm just mm-hmm. a young buck, so what do I know? But like, it was like either moving backwards or staying stagnant um, in the space. Like, where, where do you think that changed? Where, when did we stop being able to work together towards a common shared definition of success? Yeah. So it's interesting that that was 2018 for you yeah. because 2018 is actually when the district started enrollment started to decline mm. in the district. Okay. And right prior to that, there had been such a huge boom yeah. of charter schools that were opened in the district. Yep. And the innovation zones mm-hmm. had been created in the district. So there had been essentially these new schools and new school models yeah. that popped up at a time when folks started to kind of go, I don't know if we have enough kids for all of these schools. And so then I think people started to kind of go, oh, I need to protect what's mine. That makes sense. And 
really, I that's that's like my, everything was cool when it was booming. Exactly. But the moment we had scarce resources mm-hmm. or even perceived scarce resources, yep, exactly. people went to their corners. Yeah. Huh. And that's also, that's when we had the transition from Tom Bosberg as superintendent mm-hmm. to Susanna Cordova. Yep. And so that also, you know, that just changes organizational dynamic. structures and things that folks are focused on. Yeah. And so I think it was kind of this perfect storm of things that are happening. Hmm. And then you think about it, then in 2019, you have, so you have the start of declining enrollment. Yep. Then 2019, you have the teacher strike. Yep. Then 2020, you have the pandemic. <laughs> in the middle of 2020, 2021, you have another new superintendent. Yep. Well, actually, you had Dwight yep. Jones the after interim. Susanna as yep. an interim. And then Dr. Morel came, Morel came on. And so like, yeah. if you think about the last five years, from yeah. 2018 to today, it's been, been so much. All right, so it hasn't always been like this because ever since I got in, I'm like, God damn, no. it's always drama. No, because um, even beyond that too. Now we have, you know, I think about the, even the last few years. Like, well, within that time period, we had George Floyd. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, everything, the tragedy that happened at East, and like all these different things keep piling up, and we're seeing everybody argue. And the, this is really like the core of what we're hoping to get at to with with the candidates is saying we moved into this like reactionary space. You know, the the message we've been sending is like, we're not measuring success on the right things. Uh, people are going to get tired of hearing me talk about this, but I keep talking <laughs> about like the concept between an input, output, and outcome. Oh, yeah. And we've historically kind of like measured success based on outputs, which I would say are like diplomas and whether or not you got into college. But none of our success metrics are actually tied to whether or not a student actually was able to live and leverage their education for, for a quality life. Um, so I think our, our biggest question to all the candidates is saying like, well, how do you define success for the district and how do we start to create a shared positive definition of that success that we could all kind of start working mm-hmm. towards? I actually think that that is one of the problems right now mm-hmm. is that I don't see that defined by the district. I agree with you. There's the six ins statements that are part of the strategic Mm -hmm. roadmap. I would say less than 50% of people I talk to even know. Yeah. Even though that exists, let alone what all six of those are. And so that is one of the first things I would want to do if I was on the board is to sit down and just say, like, what's our ultimate goal? Like, there's a mission. I get yep. there's an end statement that says, this is what we as the district believe in and are going to do. Yeah. But it's just like a mission statement of a nonprofit, right? <laughs> it's so up here yep. in the air that you're like, oh, I'm going to reach for it. <laughs> but it's not tangible yeah, in yeah, the yeah. sense of like, what are we actually going to do on the ground? Mm-hmm. And so for me, success in our district looks like exactly what you say, it, which is when students leave, Denver Public Schools, Mm -hmm. when they graduate from Denver Public Schools, they are prepared to be successful on whatever path they take and not just academically successful. They are prepared in terms (coughs) of being a socially, like they know how to interact with Mm -hmm. others. They have social development. They know how to manage emotions. They know how to interact in that way. They also have critical thinking skills and problem-solving skills that when I talk to corporate leaders in our community- That's what they say they want. That's what they say they want. And, you know, Denver's always had this, or not Denver, Colorado as a whole has always had this paradox, right? Where it is one of the most educated states in the country Mm -hmm. and- the majority of folks who actually work in the state yeah. did not grow up here, yeah. did not go to school I mean, here. That's like half of the reason we created Edna. Yes. Because we're like, oh, there's nothing here that's developing our homegrown talent. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing here that's uh, reinvesting in the homegrown talent. And then we keep just like moving along. And it's like, well, maybe that homegrown talent could give you some insight into what worked and what didn't work in our educational system. Um. But at the same time, it's like, well, it's easier for a business owner to just hire somebody they think is ready. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yes, exactly. But that's that's a huge part of the reason why we why Endgame exists. It's right huge, guy. and I know I know this is not it's not the purpose of K twelve public education. Once kids graduate, mm-hmm. right, to like stay with those kids. Yeah. I feel like 
I feel we're so fortunate in Denver to have Ednium because that's kind of what you all like. Do, you yeah. can help to do that with with alumni. But I wonder if there's actually an opportunity to have better partnership between K twelve and higher ed. Mm-hmm. Or workforce, mm-hmm. right? Like, because I I don't want to assume everyone's going to go to college, yep. but certification programs or the yep. major companies who do hire folks that don't require a college degree. Yep. Many of the tech companies, right, are shifting. You don't need a college degree mm-hmm. to go work at Google or IBM or mm-hmm. any of the big folks. Um, and they have offices here. Yeah. But how are we talking about, who are we talking to to say, were our kids prepared? Were our graduates prepared yeah, yeah. to be successful with you? Yeah. And if they weren't, we better be fixing yeah. what's happening over here. And I mean, everybody we're talking to, the answer is no. I know. Because you know, <laughs> so, what we hear is like, look, y'all just told me to go to college. Mm-hmm. We know more than half of our students aren't going to college. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the ones that did and did everything right, quote unquote, they're like, well, I'm still struggling. Like, I, I wasn't given all the tools. Yeah. Um, and the question is why, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it's so like when you when you want them to engage, you know, there's either this like fatigue of, mm-hmm. uh, is this really going to happen? Is it real? Um, but then they feel like, oh, I was just a number, you know. Um, I mean, that's and that's what we're hearing. It yeah. shouldn't be surprising to anybody that that's what we hear. I know it just like hurts my heart. <laughs> it makes <laughs> me so sad. Um, I because I'm thinking about right. When I was at KIPP, we had uh, a student. He was the, you know him. It's Juan. Oh, His yeah, name's yeah. Juan. Yeah, it's my guy. Um, he, my first week of work, he walks in. He's looking for someone else on staff, and mm-hmm. he introduces himself. He's like, I just graduated. I'm going to <laughs> University of Denver. Yep. Um, I introduced myself, and, and then we had a wonderful conversation. I ended up calling him a couple weeks later to say, hey, I need a student speaker mm-hmm. at our staff kickoff day. Mm-hmm. Do you want to come? I was so impressed yeah, like yeah. with you. So he came and spoke. And then he and then because of what the way we supported students post high school graduation, mm-hmm. um, we knew what Juan was doing. He would mm-hmm. come back and help. He was doing yeah. some computer science stuff. He would come back and help our tech team. Yep. He was a mentor to some of our students. Um went on and got his degree, went on and got his master's, went on and got his CPA, and then came back to work for us. Yeah, that's cool. Right? But we also knew what was happening with him. Mm-hmm. We He also had folks that were talking to him about um, which path should I go? What mm-hmm. if I can't pa- pass? What if I can't pass this? Or what if I, what if, yeah. should I go here or should I go here? And so that's what makes my heart hurt because that's what I think should happen. When I worked at Colorado, I have a dream foundation. Mm-hmm. Our goal was that we started with kids in elementary school and stayed with them mm-hmm. through college and career. Mm-hmm. So as an organization that would offer a scholarship once you graduated high school, if you were in our program, we would help to support whatever your post high yeah. school plan was. But when I joined the organization, we were giving kids scholarships but not always following what was happening and so our graduation rates were college graduation rates were low Mm -hmm. so we and and then the pandemic hit and Mm -hmm. half the kids dropped out of college (laughs) and but then we support but i said this is our job yeah we now are going to have a team that starts to support you and Mm -hmm. helps you figure out where to go and for kids who didn't want to go to college how do we navigate other paths right so we had a student he tried to college twice and just was not working for him, he's like, I think I like real estate. So we had him meet with some folks who were in real estate, talked to him about what he had to do to get his real estate license. He could use his scholarship money to Mm -hmm. take some classes, pay for the test. Hmm. And those are the types of supports I think we need to have in our community. I just named, we talked about school, which was not working for him. We were a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. We talked to corporate partners, companies mm-hmm. in town to figure out like what what needs to happen for a, a student to get here. Yeah. And that's what I th- and there's amazing organizations across the city mm-hmm. that do this type of work at all different ages and yeah. levels. And I think that's something that's missing in DPS right now. Mm-hmm. As a as a nonprofit leader, 
post-pandemic that was offering after-school programming, summer programming, mm-hmm. wraparound services for families, housing assistance, food assistance, workforce development, yeah. and one-on-one mental health therapy yeah. <laughs> for ages one, zero, four to adult. Yeah. Um, Seems like we need to hit up Colorado Ava Dream Foundation. Too. I know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'll I send you all there. Yeah. We got to make that happen. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> you all should go visit them. Um, but- we would go into school because our sites were open to anyone in the community. Mm-hmm. We would go to some schools and go to school leaders and say, hey, we have this amazing free program. We have transportation. We can mm-hmm. get your kids over after school or we can get a hop, skip, drive to bring mm-hmm. them to therapy. And responses were, oh, no, we're, we're good. good. We don't need that. Or uh, <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to do that. Um, yeah. And we've experienced the same thing. Yes. We're trying to build this uh, alumni connect program. Luckily, we have a couple school leaders that like are super down. Mm-hmm. But like even in that, trying to establish it more deeply with the district office um, has been kind of a struggle because yes. it was like, oh, well, we're doing this, we're doing it. It's like, eh. mm-hmm. if you were doing it, they wouldn't be hitting us up, or you know what I mean? Like yes. they obviously see value in this. Let us add value here. Mm-hmm. Don't treat us like an enemy or someone that's you know what I mean. Like we have, we should have the same goal. And I don't know why that is, but like, how do you open up partnerships for the district to where it's not an intimidating thing? Right, exactly. And that was a very long story. Back to your question, though, of like, what does success look like? And I think this was what I would always tell my staff that I have a dream. Those school leaders are doing something Mm -hmm. that their leadership has told them or instructed, right? Like leaders respond to leaders. And so, and given the way the school district is set up, Mm -hmm. you can either work from the bottom up or you can work from the top down. And I don't hear our board talking about the many possibilities of partnerships Mm. that could exist in our city. I think there's departments Mm -hmm. within DPS that do an amazing job with that. I think about, um, we actually partnered, our nonprofit partnered with Career Connect. um, And they did, they had a class during our summer camp Mm -hmm. for our middle school students. That was awesome. Mm. Their staff members who would come out and teach were awesome. They would bring in these amazing corporate like people from all these different career fields to talk yeah. to our kids. It was amazing. And that was a partnership yeah. that because I knew folks, <laughs> I said, hey, like to. we're focused on career development. Yeah. It shouldn't just wait till high school to have these conversations. They're like, we agree with you. Yep. There but, are a lot of great people yes. and a lot of talent that works in DPS. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. That are kind of like getting burnt out by the things. But there's mm-hmm. people that care. Yes, exactly. You know? And it's hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, if you're a, even if you're a school leader, if you're a new school leader in DPS, particularly if you're new to Denver, mm. you probably don't know your community resources. Mm-hmm. You might not know your community resources. You might not know your DPS resources, yeah. depending upon what um, collaborative you're in. And you're trying to navigate being a school leader in a new (laughs) community. And so I just think a lot about how do we all lift each other up Mm. as opposed to just, you know, I don't think the board's job. I know the board's job is to create policy and then have the superintendent and his team implement do the operational sides of those policies. But I do have questions about how much thought or consideration goes into when these policies are created, hmm. what's the actual impact on the ground yep. for our schools? And how do we know if they're working? Exactly. Yeah. And how are, how are we measuring it? And, yeah. it? and to your earlier point, it's not just inputs and outputs, mm-hmm. right? So for me, I care a lot about academic outcomes mm-hmm. for kids, particularly for kids who have traditionally been underperforming mm-hmm. compared to counterparts. But that's not just about them taking the state test. Yeah. Like in my head, if our kids are going to have be successful academically, there are all these things we need to be looking at. Mm-hmm. We need to look at attendance. Mm-hmm. We need to look at social, emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. We need to look at what I would call enrichments or extracurricular activities. Yeah. Like what exposure do they have beyond math, science, social yep. studies, and reading? Yep. Um and then how are we using that information to make decisions about 
school budgets, mm. which is the responsibility of the board to approve the budget for yep. the district. How are we making decisions about uh, school safety? Mm-hmm. And in my mind, school safety does include, they have these as separate ends outcomes, but mm-hmm. you have student well-being and yeah. <laughs> school safety. No, I'm glad you mentioned that. One of the, we had a session after uh, after the whole East thing, and um, we were talking about like school safety, all these things, and like, what the alumni kind of landed on was like hope. Mm. But like there was a lack of hope. And mm. so it was like, yo, like I don't understand why school, like what we're supposed to be doing in school. It seems like we're doing this for, you know, measurements that have nothing really to do with me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Even my test score is more about the school than it is about me. Yes. Um, you know, I talk a lot about like tests are a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and like just like with a hammer, I can also hit you over the head with it or I can <laughs> build some. <laughs> yep. Um, but there was like this lack of hope that, mm-hmm. that existed um, because there wasn't a clear through line between what you're making me do every day and like what my future holds. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it is like that leads to, well, I'm going to act out. I'm a, I might as well exactly. do X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. like 100%. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, the last couple of weeks I've had a chance to meet with high, a lot of high school students mm-hmm. across the district, which has been amazing. And very sim- So these are alumni you're talking yeah. to, but our high school students saying the same thing. still saying the same thing. And it was interesting because part of it was they, they talked about like the teachers and teachers don't know how to address the problems I'm having. Yeah. Our teachers, unfortunately, in some cases, like teacher just said, no, like, <laughs> you I can't do math. I got it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you can't, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, and I, I have. I wonder how overwhelmed our teachers are, mm-hmm. like thinking about all the things that are on our teachers' plates. I also wonder when it comes beyond academics, the supports that I I believe mm-hmm. to give our kids hope that they need. Teachers aren't trained. Not all teachers have experience or yeah. have training in how to do that. Mm-hmm. If I have a child, if I have a student who's coming in that is struggling because their family just lost their house and they're like yeah. couch hopping right now. And, and <laughs> maybe the kids are in a house, but the parents are in a shelter, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to teach you calculus. Yeah. Like, and I don't, and I, I don't have, like, I don't know about resources that I could be talking yeah. to you and your family about, right? Like, so now you're in like kind of like a hopeless yes, situation. Like, I don't know how to exactly. help. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think, no one should be in that situation. Yeah. I mean, that's that when when this one student said this, uh, where she was like, she just told me she didn't care. I like mm. literally got tears in my. I was like, <gasps> I was so <laughs> angry. Like yeah. I was just like, no, no one should say that to kids. Yeah. Um, and I think that because decisions that are made by the board don't have that level of like voice. Mm that comes into those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I could give it, I mean, I'll take, I'll take that back a little bit. Pro- you, you listen to public comment, yeah. <laughs> go to public comment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've had I've, some... I've slowed down lately. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> right. So public comment is one way for voice to be heard mm-hmm. from our communities. And I think about, I mean, there's been lots of, Mm-hmm. voice that has come in front of the board yep. um over the last 12 to 18 months mm-hmm. um on a variety of issues and board actions mm-hmm. have not reflected what those voices have asked for asked for yeah have not reflected the challenges that those vo- voices have brought forth yep. with this idea of we want to work to. We want to work with you, school yeah. district, yeah. to come up with a solution. actual plan. How yeah. do we figure this out? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it's around like, like you said, like there's not a there's not clarity across the board around. Not, I guess that's a bad way to say it. There's <laughs> not clarity like throughout the ecosystem yes. around what direction we're going in. Right. So people don't necessarily know how to help which then creates this like condition by which it's like a clash and a fight every mm-hmm. single time. You know, one of the things we talk about at Ednium with alumni is like, look, man, like the opportunity to make something happen 
all of the st- all of the work happens before you get to public comment. <laughs> you yes, feel me? Like, yes, exactly. like public comment is not going to change their mind. No, no. What's going to change their mind is the partnership and mm-hmm. the relationships you develop. And yeah. it needs to be productive. You can't just be mad all day. Right. You know right. what I mean? But still, like, where is the entry point for community to have that voice for it to inform what's going on? How do we make sure that after whatever policies pass, we're actually still at the table to make mm-hmm. sure it's implemented? Um, and and that's, that's a big question, too, around, like, okay, whoever's coming into the um, to the board, if it's, you know, in your race, if it's you mm-hmm. or Scott or whatever, it's like, okay, well, how do we, how do we establish that relationship? What's the actual, imp- you know, implementation point? If you talk to the community, they're cool to work with you, dog. Mm-hmm. But if it ke- seems like we keep getting kind of like pushed to the side and kind of tokenized a little bit, all of a sudden, yeah, like it's going to become a problem. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which it should. Which it should, yeah. And I think that's what's missing. So if you look at many of the policies that have been created right now, mm-hmm. what drives me crazy about them is there's not clear, for lack of a better word, like monitoring points, hmm. right? So this is the example I like to use. In 2020, when the policy was written to remove SROs mm-hmm. from – the, the schools, schools yeah. um, there was a line in there that said comprehensive safety plan will be written hmm. to account for the fact that this change had been made. Mm-hmm. From then until 2023, no one at, or really 2022, because mm-hmm. the first shooting at East yeah. happened in 2022, um, no one asked about it. Hmm. I didn't hear... Perhaps it was given, you know, there's other ways board members get information, but yeah. as a as a parent in the district, as yeah. a member of taxpaying resident yeah. of yeah. Denver, I didn't hear us talking about what was going on now that we don't have SROs in schools. Mm. Um, but anecdotally, mm-hmm. because I was working with schools and working with students and working with families, yeah. and keep in mind, when kids returned, because 2020 is when they were taken out. The 2021-2022 school year, mm-hmm. so many kids were learning school again. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, they, kids just had been behind screens for so long yeah. that there was an increase in violence. There was an increase in weapons being brought to school. There was an increase in kids just, like, dealing with trauma mm-hmm. that was seen in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. And so now, unclear safety plan. Mm-hmm inconsistency across schools in terms of how particularly physical safety Mm -hmm. is being addressed. And then we get to East Mm -hmm. and now we have SROs again with the same request Mm -hmm. for a safety plan. So this time the safety plan was released publicly. Hmm. And now I'm going to go back to my questions. There are multiple things spelled out in that safety plan that were supposed to happen. One of which was improved various types of trainings for school staff around safety. Have we measured that? Have we measured that? I can tell you that week before school started, when staff was back for PD and Uh classroom setup, week after school started back and schools start having back to school nights and things like that. How's the news? I asked, I Hmm. asked educators, how's the safety plan? Did you get like, was it good? Tell me about the new things that are happening. What are you talking about? We have 15-minute training on how to do lockdowns like we do every year. And so in my head, and, and, (laughs) like, so, I don't know. That that doesn't count as real, like, data, that is. But. I I get it. Yeah. Who's, I also have not seen the board say, here's your safety plan. We haven't heard anything about the trip to Harvard over the summer where we were learning from experts to be able to create, um, you know, the discipline policy. I've heard, I know there's a committee that's supposed to be working on yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and then it'll be implemented in 2024. Yeah. But it was like, I think what you're saying is that like, even if all the stuff is happening, if the people don't know about it, then right. how are we supposed to feel comfortable and confident? That's right. And it? and that's what, as I'm out talking to potential voters right now, mm-hmm. safety is still a huge issue, mm-hmm. both with te- both with folks who work in DPS and with families mm-hmm. and community. I mean, even folks who don't have kids in DPS right now, they even are aware of, are the kids on the way to school safe? You know, all mm-hmm. those kinds of things. 
And so people are talking about it. And I will share, but everyone's not like me watching the board meetings all the time, right? And it's so, not exactly riveting exactly, TV. Exactly. They have better things to do with their time. I love it. Um, and so I can fill in on things that get brought up. Mm-hmm. But again, it's not very often that yeah. this hot, hot button issue yeah. that took the district yeah. to national news yeah. is not been like we're yeah. in October. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And there's still a lot of questions from families. So the question for you then, as you run for school board, um, and I, I asked this question, I'll probably be asking this question to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, there, there's a fundamental breakdown in trust right now with the district, the school board. I mean, all kind of every like governmental mm-hmm. agency, there, there's just a breakdown in trust. But should you get into this position, like how do you rebuild that trust with the community? Yeah. I think that as a board there it's kind of that it's almost like a healing conversation oh. i don't know if conversation is the right word but there has to be this mutual conversation somehow be this at a board meeting or perhaps in gatherings in the districts across the yeah. various like school board yeah. member districts across the district um but there has to be some recognition of where we as a board or we as a school district mm-hmm. have just failed families and kids, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. we can't sit up there, like the board can't sit there and say, everything is great. <laughs> like we're doing it right. Like yeah. that, I think that that's the first step when you're building trust is that people are not blind. Yeah. People are not deaf. Yeah. They can see and hear and, and feel What's happening, particularly yeah. if you are a student in our schools or if you are working or a parent or a family member related to schools. And so we have to recognize that. Yeah. And then we have to be really clear. And, you know, I I used to coach principals and I would talk to them about this. And if they're having a really bad like <laughs> day or week or year, I'd say, pick one thing you're going to focus on hmm. that you know you can succeed. Hmm. Because your staff will see that, your families will see that, your students will see that. And that, to your point about what the alumni had to say, it starts to bring a little hope to people. And so I think that in order to rebuild trust, you have to accept accountability for what has happened so far. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about what is something that we as a district can do to rebuild that sense of hope. Yeah. yeah. Start with wins. Yeah. Start with wins. Right. We don't hear enough yeah. about the amazing things happening in our district mm-hmm. um, that are driven by our schools and our yeah. um, students. I, I, I just was pausing for a second because I get these newsletters from the various departments as a parent mm. in the district. I get to hear about the legal yeah. wins in the district. I get to hear about the facilities wins in mm-hmm. the district. I would love to get a newsletter. Well, and and sometimes in the superintendent's weekly newsletter, there might be one or two yeah. school specific things. Um, but I would love a newsletter that like every there's like twelve all, articles. Yeah. And it's all about like yeah. district wide or school, right? And so I that I think I want to be fair. Like we do sell there are celebrations that yeah. happen. But it's not part of like the general, like when you ask somebody about what they think about DPS, mm-hmm. those aren't the things that are coming to their mind. No, because those are not the things, right? Like I'm a parent. Yeah. I get the weekly update from the superintendent because I'm a parent in the district. Yeah. My neighbor, who hasn't uh-huh. had kids in the district for 20 years, yep. walks across my street, saw, sees my yard sign, goes, oh, you're running for school board? Uh-huh. It's like, I have five questions for you. Everything he had seen in the newspaper. That's all he's thinking about. All negative things. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. he doesn't know. He doesn't know. What is going on? And why would he? In the, exactly. Yeah. And so we, uh. I think it's our responsibility as a district to say, say these are the amazing things happening. Because also, it's really hard to attract new staff yeah. to the district. Yeah. If all they see is the negative stuff. Yes. I was, I was in this thing. I think I said this on the last one, too, where they were talking about, like, well, duh, people don't want to become teachers. Everything they see in the media is negative. Right. You know, like, exactly. I don't want to invest in that. Like, how do we, 
have more of like an asset lens. And like, that's mm-hmm. where we're, we come from, from Adnium is like, nah, we ain't helpless, whatever. Like we got brilliance in our backyard yes. and we're going to highlight that brilliance and you should invest in that mm-hmm. brilliance. You know what exactly. I mean? Um, and for too long, it seemed kind of like, you know, poverty pimping, poverty hustling, like, and that's just not going to work anymore. No. Like our kids know that they got value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean? They just don't believe that the district or the systems believe that they have value. Right. Therefore, you know, yeah. we're going to meet your expectation, you know. So, <laughs> like that's, I just don't like thinking about this revolution, right? Like because yeah. that power is there. Yeah. And particularly with our with all of our students, but definitely with our alums who have now just lived through this and they're mm-hmm. like, "No. Yeah. I got you." Like I, got you. I yeah. I'm Gotcha. We're gonna make this change happen. <laughs> no, I'm, ex- I'm excited for it. So we're coming up on time here. Okay. Um, you know, I think one of the last questions. Well, two more questions. Okay. One is why why should people vote for you? I'm, you're you're going against a incumbent, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if someone's asking you, you know, what would you want them to hear as they listen to this yep. podcast? So I think people should vote for me because. I'm going to come to the table with a servant leader mindset Mm -hmm. that is there to represent my community, Mm -hmm. not my own personal interests, with a goal that all of our students are able to be successful once they graduate from Denver Public Schools. I bring a unique lens to the table in terms of the fact that I've worked in traditional public schools. I've been a teacher's union president. Mm. I have worked in charter schools. I have worked in nonprofits that work with schools. And so I have seen just about every like lens through which you can work in a school district Mm. Um, and sat at a lot of those tables that make decisions for school districts. I've also managed very big budgets. Yeah. <laughs> the $1.3 billion budget, uh, <laughs> we have some financial things we need to be talking about. So I think that level of expertise um, is something that the, if if I was on the board, mm-hmm. I would use so many of the lessons I've learned from mm-hmm. students and families and community to inform decisions that are going to be made yeah. so that when I vote yes on a new policy, I have dissected what that impact is going to be the next day in a school. Hmm. And I think that that's something that makes me different from um, both several people who are running for board yeah. board seats as well as current board members. I, I would also say in my experience, I have worked across lines of difference hmm. in a multitude of ways. Um, one, working in communities as a white woman, mm-hmm. um, most of my communities did not look like me or have the life yeah. experiences similar to mine. And so learning to work across lines of difference in that way, but also given that a huge push for me, particularly with um, families whose voices often were not heard, mm-hmm. was to work on advocacy yeah. and being able to do things like push forward new policies, like full day kindergarten yeah. or reduce making both at the state and district level, not having suspensions Mm. in kindergarten through third grade and having to go with families and sit and talk to different political parties and figure out how to get them behind these bills that are great for kids. Um, I've had that experience of bringing people together around a common goal. Cool. When's the last time you changed your mind? What's something that you changed your mind on? So I would say the last time that I changed my mind was when I decided that I was going to go from education Mm. to working in nonprofits. Mm. I thought I would always be in K-12 education. And so when I had let my um, board know when I was at KIPP Colorado that I was going to be leaving, I was like, I I think I'm going to try something new. (laughs) So went into working in the nonprofit world. I don't know if it really counts as changing your mind though, (laughs) because even though it was not a school, still with kids. Yeah. Right. You can't get away. You can't get away. Um, but it, I thought that I would always be an educator. And what I have learned is that 
you are always a learner and you mm. are always an educator, but what that looks like is always a little bit different. Yeah. The vehicle you get there mm-hmm. can change. Yep. Yeah. You're always a student. You're yep. always a teacher, regardless of where you're at. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Anything else you want folks to know or to hear? If you are in District 1, which is in Southeast Denver, and you want to hear more about my campaign, I am looking to talk to folks and really be able to hear what's going on in our community. And so you're welcome to reach out to me um, or visit my website, www.cf4dpsstudents.com. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming through. Thanks for having me. Have a good afternoon.